Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime. Blue Wire. Oh, I just realized that's kind of cool. My beverage matches my hoodie. That's coordination. That's adorable. I know. This wasn't even planned. <laughs> Le Pamplemousse. La Croix. Hello, hello, and welcome to another playoff recap episode of Unsalvageable with me, Sarah Todd, Utah Jazz beat reporter for the Deseret News, and as always, my co-host, Greg Foster. Greg, the Jazz tied the series 1-1 with a, a game two win. What were your first impressions? It's usually pretty good when your best players lead your team, and the Jazz had awesome outings from their big three. Mike Conley was incredible running the offense. We'll, we'll, we'll leave his defense out of this right now. You know, Donovan Mitchell came out on fire. You could tell that energy was really, it was not only palpable, but it was contagious. You could see that his intensity kind of permeated throughout the, the jazz. And then I can't say enough about how good Rudy Gobert was last night, especially in those closing minutes, offensively, defensively. He just feasted, and that pick and roll, the high pick and roll with Rudy Gobert and Mike Conley is going to be there all series unless somehow the Grizzlies and Taylor Jenkins can figure it out because they were flambéed throughout the entire game with that. I was happy with the win. I think it's it's one of those where it's like Jaw had a career high the Grizzlies crawled back in the third quarter, and yet the Jazz still won by by double digits. All in all, good games, but lots of things to improve on. It was far from perfect. Yeah, a couple of things you mentioned. First, I'll start with John Morant. I think that it would be it wouldn't be smart to look at a box score, see that John Morant had 47, and think that the Jazz played terrible defense because it wasn't that situation. Right. They didn't play great defense. But like you said, Rudy Gobert had an amazing game. And the fact of the matter is, is that John Morant is a great basketball player. He's really good. And like, what is it? He's in his second year right now. Like you're just seeing, like he's just scratching the surface on how good he's actually going to be. And he's already this good. Yeah. And the, I mean, the fact that he had 47 points, it's like he could have easily had 65 if Rudy Gobert hadn't been playing him, hadn't shut him down on multiple tries in the paint. And right. if the jazz hadn't been throwing in every different coverage at him. Mm-hmm. And he's one of those players that it's, he's starting it now and you'll see it as his career progresses. He's just going to get his, he's going to be one of the guys where you say, you're not going to stop him. You just have to slow him down. Exactly. One of the things that the jazz can improve on is that when they did you know, get up and contest him, especially with those little, you know, mid range or short floaters. Uh, They were fouling him a lot. They sent him to the free throw line 20 times. And that's something that you can just do better. You know, if he doesn't have 15 points from the free throw line, then that 47 points looks a lot smaller, looks more like 32. 
Yeah, I think there there are a couple of things that you can do. One is Jaw's not a good outside shooter. And in fact, I think he was two for seven in this game from three. Go under those screens. Yeah. Do what you can, as well as I need, we, we saw it a little bit uh, early in the game in blitzing those pick and rolls. Use your big to hedge the screen and just cut off that drive. And when the Jazz were playing drop coverage is in, in both games is when Jaw really started cooking. You know, he's got that little in and out dribble. He's got that little jab cross and he can just get into the paint. And like when his floater game's working, he's really hard to stop. On the other hand, I have a hard time believing that dude is going to continue to drop 47 and shoot. I think he was like 15 of 27 in the game. I, I don't, I just don't see him doing that again constantly. It could happen again in this series. I think I know another game, but I would be surprised if if dude is averaging 40 points for the series. Yeah, he was uh, 15 of 26 overall, 2 of 7 from 3, 15 of 20 from the free throw line. And like, honestly, the 2 of 7 from 3 and the 15 from 20 from the free throw line, those aren't great numbers, but you send them to the free throw line too many times. Yes. And then to your point about the drop coverage, you know, I, I get why the Jazz are hesitant to play high on that throughout the entirety of the game. They don't want him getting confidence from three. We have seen what it looks like when he does get confident from three, when he shot, you know, five of 10 from three against the Warriors in the Uh play in game. And so he can get into a rhythm. And so they, they go under the screen a couple of times and he hits a couple of threes. And so they start going over the screen again. They go over the screen. He gets a first step and is able to get into the lane. Uh, They also, you know, if, if they're, they're playing high on him, not dropping back. There's, you know, a fear of cutters or of, you know, Jonas Valanciunas or Jaron Jackson Jr. getting a putt back or being able to handle a smaller defender underneath the basket. And so I get, sure. I mean, that's, that's basketball, you know, you're going to have to pick your poison at times. And that's why they threw so many different coverages at him. I think throughout the course of this series, uh, you're only going to see the Jazz's defense progress and get better. Right. That's what we saw from game one to game two. They game one was abysmal game two. They played a lot better defense mm-hmm. outside of the third quarter. Outside of the third quarter was they pretended like it was game one again. It was horrible. That might be the worst quarter of the season. A, you just can't give up 43 points to a playoff team, especially when you have a 20 point lead. Again, it's that same problem of letting off the gas. It seemed again, like, especially the jazz bench that just got complacent and we're kind of like, Oh, we've got this 20 point lead. Oh, it's okay. They went on a little run. It's a 13 point lead. It's still double digits. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, it's 9391. Yeah. And I, I tweeted out last night that we've talked about this before. Like I love how quickly the jazz can flip the switch it really bothers me how often they put themselves in those types of situations where they need to flip the switch. There's yeah. no need to do that. It's a problem, especially with the bench. Yeah, I, I actually wrote about the same thing in, in my sort of instant piece off the game saying that, you know, there's a point where, and I think now is the point. Now is the point in the playoffs where they had a bad game in game one, better in game two, but they're, Playoffs require you to 
play 48 minutes of intense basketball. Yes. And so far we've got 36 minutes from the Jazz. But didn't Quinn say something about that as well in his post game? Yeah, and the Jazz are aware because I think Rudy touched on it too when he was talking to us that for whatever reason, they lost focus. They got distracted. Mm-hmm. And there's a million things that can be going on the sideline. And Donovan was also nervous about how the ankle was going to be holding up. And But you can't lose focus in the playoffs because I mean, that can happen in the first round against the Grizzlies and you can still pull out the win. But once you get into the deeper rounds in the playoffs, like 12 minutes of not being focused is not going to cut it. You're going to lose those games. Yeah, right. I, I mean, I can't imagine just hypothetically, you know, the, the Mavericks have a, a 2-0 lead on the Clippers going back to Dallas. They are the presumptive favorites now to win that series. And if you're losing focus against Luka Doncic, that dude is going to have a triple-double in a quarter. Yeah. Like, you just – you simply can't do that. As well as, like, we've seen – this This is a Grizzlies team that does not go away. They're super aggressive, and they don't have any quit. And, like, if you let it off the gas, like, you're just giving them – you're opening the door to them making a comeback and getting all of the, the confidence and the momentum that they need. It's the exact same thing they did in the second quarter – in game one, and we saw how that turned out. I think the difference is this time is the Jazz were actually hitting their shots. Yeah, and that's definitely something that we could say that the Jazz, they spaced the ball so much better, and I think that that has a lot to do with Donovan Mitchell's presence on the floor. Uh He just demands attention from the defense because he's such a good player. It doesn't matter if he's playing well or not. That attention, that gravity from the defense just gives the Jazz the space they need to be able to find open shooters. We talked about them having a ton of open looks in game one. They had even more open looks and they knocked them down in game two. The Jazz in game two hit 48% of their threes. I think they were something like nine. I think it was 19 of 39. So like when you almost double your three-point shooting, that's usually a great sign. And, you know, it really started off in the first in the first quarter. I mean, Donovan came out cooking. He had no signs of a bad ankle. He dropped 12 in the first quarter, 14 for the half. He had that four-point play where Dylan Brooks fouls him. He hits the three. He looks at the crowd. He's screaming, I'm on his ass. And then as you talked about, like the spacing was great. The energy was contagious. The Jazz ended up hitting seven trays in the first quarter. And that kind of just snowballed throughout the game. And that really was the big, the biggest reason why they were able to withstand 47 points from Jaw and, and get the win. You know, we should probably talk about Donovan. This was his first game back after missing 17 games, 16 in the regular season, then game one of this series. I think that... For the first time, I am worried about the ankle. Yeah. Listen, you're not completely healed if you have to stay warm throughout the game and you're 24 years old. And so, and that was something that he had to do. He left and went to the locker room on one of his stints while he was out of the game just so that he could run around, basically come back out. He got on the exercise bike and stayed on it until he was checking back in. I mean, I asked him about that and he said, you know, I haven't done any workouts where I sit down yet. So he hasn't come back in cold. That's just a fact. He's not completely healed. And one of the things that he said last night, I have the quote here. I feel good. I put myself in kind of treacherous situation to come back and be ready for playoff intensity. So he knows. I mean, the way that that sounds to me is 
probably shouldn't be playing right now, but he is playing. He's able to. It's not like he's completely unable to play. He's just not at 100%. I hope that he takes it easy. We talked about in our last pod uh, and in our conversation with Keith Parrish that the smartest thing for Donovan to do would be for him to come back and play within the system and not Mm -hmm. play hero ball. And he absolutely did that. He played exactly the game that he needed to Rudy commented on it. He said, it didn't feel like he came back after a month and was just trying to like go out there and do everything. It felt like he'd already been back for a month. Yeah. He looked, he looked super comfortable and, you know, and the, especially offensively, the jazz didn't miss a beat. And the thing that I think they really missed with Donovan is just the pressure he puts on a defense. You know, we saw Triple J, Valanchunas, and Dylan Brooks all pick up three fouls in the first half, which is a huge reason why they got that big lead in the first place. And a lot of that can be attributed to the pressure that Donovan Mitchell puts puts on a defense. You know, you the spacing is incredible. And with the Jazz's ball movement and that high pick and roll, there's just – it's it's – a huge picker poison situation. Are you giving up a dunk to Rudy Gobert? Are you giving up wide open shots to Bogey, Joe Ingles, Niang, Mike Conley? All of them hit multiple three pointers in the game. So just to have that, he really is that cornerstone. He really is the engine that makes everything work. And when you have that, good things usually happen. Loved the way also that he that he went at Dylan Brooks, not in like an ISO hero ball way, but he really baited Dylan Brooks into those early fouls. Uh I really like, if you've got, if you're going against a guy that you know has a tendency to foul, attack him. And Donovan was in limited minutes, but when he was in there, he really drew Dylan Brooks in it. Then it got to the point where, you know, after Dylan Brooks had to leave after getting three fouls early in the second, the next few times he came in, his defense wasn't as good because he didn't want to foul. Yeah. Another huge key to that is just how good Donovan was coming off the screens that Rudy Gobert was setting Mm. for him, especially, you know, with that four point play. And when you have a guy who's overly aggressive like that, and you know, he's going to fight over the screens and he's going to try to hound you. When you have a guy like, yeah. When you have a guy like Rudy Gobert, who I know, he gets mocked a lot for the screen assists and everything, but the guy can set a screen. He's gigantic and he takes up a lot of room that you have to go around. And Donovan is really shifty uh, and has great balance. And so when he comes up that screen super tight and Dylan Brooks is chasing him and then all of a sudden he stops his momentum and there's that collision that happened a couple of times. And that's a big reason why Dylan Brooks got in foul trouble. Like any good team, Hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. The third quarter, obviously, we already talked about that was bad. But then the fourth quarter and Mike Conley 
what more can you say about him? We already said how good he was at just orchestrating the offense. He finished with 15 assists, most playoff assists by a jazz man since Darren Williams in 2009. It's exactly the kind of game I love seeing from Mike Conley because when he's playing that way and he's using that search dribble and he's, he's just deliberate with every move that he makes, not only is he going to get himself open, he got 20 points, but he can find anyone. And he's another guy, the defense cannot ignore him. And so when he, when he's penetrating and he's doing it with intention, he's going to draw people and he can find shooters better than almost anyone. That I think was, might be the best game he's played in a Utah Jazz uniform. It was I don't very want to good. Be overly hyperbolic, but he was an absolute maestro and just picked apart the Grizzlies defense. And again, just having Donovan there and knowing the gravity that Donovan has on the offensive side of the ball allows Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert to run that pick and roll and not have like just a huge collapse in the paint because you can't leave guys like Donovan and, and Bogey and the rest of the guys open. And he just, he feasted that. I mean, Reggie Miller did not stop talking about the high pick and roll all game long and rightfully so because the, that's all the jazz had to had to run in order to get their offense working it was just it was constant I mean I think those minutes that we got in the fourth quarter where you had Mike and Donovan and Rudy back on the floor together like you said there was so much gravity and so much attention that had to be paid by the defense and by that time man Memphis was tired that was one of the things that I glean most about the Jazz making that big push in the second quarter is those guys were gassed. You could see Triple J and Valanchunas with their hands on their knees during free throws. It, they just didn't seem to have the legs when they were trying to take outside jumpers. And the Jazz took advantage of that. And that's what they got to do now for 48 minutes. Like that's got to be the blueprint. Yeah. And I thought the Grizzlies were lucky that the Jazz didn't really have it in the third quarter because the Grizzlies really gave their last punch that they had. They were tired in the second. They came back out. They had a little bit to give and were lucky. The Jazz basically forgot that there was a basketball game happening and then when the fourth happened, the Jazz still had something to give. And the Grizzlies were like, I mean, there's a look on the faces. It was like, I want to go home. I want to take a nap. <laughs> yeah, they were definitely gassed. Or gassed, I should say. Gasped. Gassed. All they, the same. They, they were gasping because they were gassed. <laughs> so I took some notes during the game. And I again, even when you're not playing your best and you still win by double digits, like that's a good sign. However, there are things to improve upon. And I did write down some adjustments that I would like to see. I really want to see the jazz in game three, come out relaxed and stop forcing things. Again, they had a sloppy start. They were turning the ball over, which was negated by uh, Grizzlies foul trouble. And I just don't think you can rely on that. You got to stop forcing the issues. I think at this point now, you've played the two games. You played the Grizzlies five times already this year. Like by this time, you should know what works. Don't force the issue. Continue running that high pick and roll. Continue putting pressure on the defense. We need to, again, Jazz cut down on the turnovers. They had 14 in game one. They had 12 in game two. So an improvement, but still not enough. We've talked already about what the Jazz need to do to try to force John Morant outside of the paint and get him uncomfortable. I think you got to blitz the PNR. 
You have to go under screens. If nothing else, just force Jaw or at least try to try to get him to go right. Because that dude drives left almost every time and you can see how comfortable he is. So I don't know, maybe switch that up. Yeah, and um, don't foul. And don't foul, another big thing. I think just bigger picture is just trying to force the Grizz out of the paint. I mean, if you're if you're the Utah Jazz and you're looking at the Memphis Grizzlies, you have to be able to believe that you can win a shootout. The Jazz need to be they, – they did a good job on the boards, but I think they need to be even more aggressive on the defensive glass. The Grizzlies had nine offensive boards, and they had three big offensive boards during that uh, third quarter barrage. And then, again, you want to – want the team to come out relaxed, but you also want them to be aggressive and continue to force fouls. Like Dylan Brooks and Valanchunas and Triple J all having to sit for long periods of time was a huge reason why the Jazz built that big lead and a huge reason why they won that game. So you got to be able to find that balance of playing in control while still being aggressive. Yeah, I think a couple of things, the difference that they did make on turnovers and Grizzlies offensive boards between game one and game two was impressive. Mm-hmm. They, it was, you know, I know that the difference between 14 and 12 turnovers doesn't seem like a lot, but they didn't have as many live ball turnovers. Like yes. it was, it was dead balls more often than not. And cutting down on live situations where you send the Grizzlies in transition, they did a lot better in that. And then mm-hmm. they did, I mean, Grizzlies are a great offensive rebounding team. They had 16 or 17 in the first game and just nine in the second game. The the Jazz out-rebounded them on the offensive boards. And so I do think that they cleaned up quite a bit. You can always do better in those areas, though. Agreed. Well, I think that that is good. They've got another two days off before game three in Memphis. That's going to be on Saturday. That's probably really good for Memphis. They're going to be back home. They're going to be rested, and they're going to have a counter, you know, they're probably going to come out and trying to figure out a way to limit the jazz's three point opportunities. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw them really sticking to guys out on the perimeter and making that a concerted effort. We'll see what the jazz punch back with again. Thank you for listening. Like rate, subscribe, follow us at NBA, Sarah at unsalvageables at dad, sham dad. And we'll see you uh, after game three. Nice. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.